John, I believe you have something to say to our audience. I, I have nothing to apologize for, Greg. I have nothing to apologize for. <laughs> I know you, you want should. me to apologize. We have literally uh, tens of dedicated listeners mm. who tune in every week expecting quality content on movies that either they've seen before and don't like our dismissive opinion of them, or <laughs> they haven't seen the movie before and they ignore the episode. All right? So... <laughs> Greg, everyone who listens to the podcast was at the wedding, so really, it's not like we were missing out on anything. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, I I mean, I wish I could have been there, but John, it's March Madness. How could you do this to me? Right? I know. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> exactly. Greg, so I f- wish I could have been there on your special day, but <laughs> oh. again, it's <laughs> no, the first Greg. weekend of March Madness. What do, you, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Greg was actually the officiant, and he did oh, a... Well. And he did a fine job, which is as much as you can expect for Greg. So good, good job, Greg. Good job. You, I, I, I gave you my little homily, my little spiel before mm-hmm. the actual ceremony. You only note that it was too long. It, it was approximately 253 words. Okay, fine, whatever. Like again, we thought it would take our like us five minutes to read our vows. We were done in like a minute and a half. Yeah, so the whole the it... whole ceremony was over in like 11 minutes. Yes. <laughs> Did you seriously think you were going to be up there and talk for five minutes straight? I don't know. It was such a whirlwind. And you're up there and everyone's staring at you. You know, know, it's like time moves slower. And then it was like, all right, where are we going? What's going on? What's happening now? It was awful. It was, I was very nervous. I'm generally very good at public speaking, but this time. Oh, really? In general? (laughs) Mm, Debatable. You wouldn't be so nervous if you were good at public speaking. You would have been like, yeah, crushing I'm exceptional at public speaking. Oh, really? Give me, give me several examples. Besides (laughs) this wedding, (laughs) which has been. John, highlight of your I'm career. glad you brought that up because Greg. we got tour dates coming up. I'm at the Chuckle Hut in Sioux Falls, Iowa. <laughs> When's your I'll also talk, be Greg? at Clappers in uh, Buffalo, New York on the 22nd uh, coming up. Uh, where else? Um, the, the, uh, Greg, uh, what's the, your TED Talk about? Is it about, the, is it about the, uh, the, the mystery box? Is that what your TED Talk's about? No, John. It's actually a love letter to the theater. Oh, all right, because that's what it's really all about. All right, mm. so some people they like the phony baloneyness of Hollywood or the artificiality of video games. Not me. All right, mm. I like the theater, being there live, just as you and I are talking right now when you edit out <laughs> stumbles and things. It only happens once. <laughs> that's true, and the show must go on always. No, no matter who the understudy is, no matter who's yes. on stage that day, the show must go on. But let me tell you, Greg, there's so many divas, all right? There was this bitch at my <laughs> wedding, and, you know, it's my day, okay? It's my day, but no. John, don't, I, I, I object to you calling me the B-word, all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, 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 it was a different bitch, Greg. And let me tell ah. you, this bitch was making it all about her, okay? You would have sworn that the day was all about Eve. The kid, a junior, that is, will be down in a minute, unless you'd like to take her drink up to her. I can get a fresh one. Karen, you're a Gibson girl. The general atmosphere is very Macbethish. What has or is about to happen? What is he talking about? Macbeth. We know you. We've seen you like this before. Is it over or is it just beginning? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I distinctly remember Addison crossing you off my guest list. What are you doing here? Dear Margot, you were an unforgettable Peter Pan. You must pray it again soon. Uh, you remember Miss Caswell, don't you? I do not. How do you do? We've never met. Maybe that's why. Miss Caswell is an actress, a graduate of the Copacabana School of Dramatic Art. Ah. Eve. Good evening, Mr. DeWitt. I had no idea you two knew each other. This must be, at long last, our formal introduction. Eve is not our niece. We want to make that absolutely clear. <laughs> no she, one... she was an angel all through the ceremony. <laughs> I mean, the rest of the time, she's, she's running about yelling, not sharing toys, which she should have been. But... <laughs> I mean, I was fully expecting it, because as a child, I ruined many a wedding. So yeah, honestly, oh yeah. I thought it was going to be like karma coming back at me. I thought the no, kids would I, be very open. No, I was perfect. I was perfect. I never <laughs> misbehaved during a wedding. No, you never misbehaved as a child, period. No. You were mom's little, little angel. Indeed, I was. Mm. John, That's let's get one. back to All About Eve, because okay. the impetus for watching this movie is because I alluded to it at one point uh, about a movie that was like a backstage drama. Oh, but what it, is it this? The Marvel up. Cinematic Universe? We, we yes. hide these little Easter eggs and, you know, it, it predicts future events. 
future episodes? Indeed. I Well, it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing, because, again, John, we're, we're speaking extemporaneously. It's live. Mm-hmm. It's like jazz. It just We don't know where these things come from, but we don't know what we're I doing. We don't it. know where we're going. Yes. I referred to it as a backstage drama, but seconds after that, I thought, oh, I've never actually seen All About Eve. I'm just assuming that this is what the movie's like. Um, um, to give you context on how little I knew about this movie, I thought Betty Davis was Eve, so I don't know anything. <laughs> That's a, hey, that's a that's a fair mistake. One thing we can't mistake though is this film's pedigree, because only literally three movies have won have swept the awards: best picture, director, actor, actress. Like won them all, mm-hmm. and All About Eve is one of them. Fourteen mm-hmm. nominations, tied with Titanic and La La Land for the most of all time. Mm. Now wait, how many did it win though? It won the the big five, but how many did it win overall? Uh, I'm not sure. It won six according to the page I'm looking at right here. Okay, got it, got it. One, yes. six. Right. <laughs> That's hardly a Black Panther, let me tell you that. <laughs> John, don't 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 be smirched the greatest film of all time by comparing it to all about Eve, okay? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I meant to say Green Book, I apologize. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't even I can't even keep up on my contemporary Oscar winners. Gosh, look at yeah. that. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> I know. It's been an exhausting week of wedding, John. And you're gonna be exhausted even more when we talk about all about Eve. <laughs> All right, one major criticism of this movie: it is very yeah. long, and oh, I do think it I felt do like think, eight. It felt like eight hours no, I instead mean, of two. I here's the thing: it 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 overstays its welcome just a little bit. But if you're you know like me, you know just a roaring gay bitch who just lives for that drama. <laughs> that's <laughs> let me true. tell you. <laughs> I I did enjoy the movie in the moment, and I was very captivated at times. But it's just like you know, there's like. The, the kind of uh, the big kind of turning point happens like halfway and then the full runtime is like two hours and 18 minutes and you really could have shaved off about 18 minutes I would say that's my only one major criticism of the movie because overall I actually loved this movie I thought it was a lot of fun watching it <laughs> okay so what, what did you love most about it though um, I love the kind of rat-a-tat dialogue and while you know the savvier viewers i'm i'm sure viewers weren't just savvy in the 1950s um mm-hmm. you can see where the story is kind of going and you can kind of see that the themes that it's playing with and it does have a nice kind of setup and payoff it's a, it's a well structured movie and i do think it has a very kind of interesting story buoyed by fantastic performances especially by your star betty davis oh she's swilling back those dry gin martinis and let <laughs> me tell you fasten your seatbelts it's gonna be a wrong you are wrong all about eve sucks how dare you how dare you everything wrong with all about eve Uh, yes uh, that's what this review is going to be because we've talked about this a bunch but we have this impression of what a 50s movie is Mm -hmm. and that means like uh kind of broad staging like wide shots so that everybody gets in the frame Mm mm-hmm Yep, shot uh, like even lighting. Yeah, and not, this is not very this is very chamber drama as well. So yes. it, it feels very play like. Yeah, I was shocked that this wasn't based on a play. It's actually based on a short story mm. by uh, Mary Orr, who wasn't even credited. Poor poor woman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like this basically fit my impression of every dull, boring, like out of date fifties movie that I could ever see because because it was there was practically no direction going on from. Joseph L. Mankiewicz, at least visually. Uh, mm-hmm. The performances are all, like, histrionic. And even the stars that we can give credit to, like Betty Davis and Ann Baxter, like, I think they're well cast, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, there was something so staid about the drama. I'm glad you brought that up, that famous line, like, buckle your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. What is a bumpy night entail? Well, for this <laughs> movie, it's a, an older woman uh, drinks too much, too much and sulks and is a bad party <laughs> host. That's it. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it had a nice kind of "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf" quality to it, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, but at least at least "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf" goes off the rails. Like this, <laughs> that we're stuck here on the slowest train journey out to the out to the country, out to the. It is a little Catskills. slow, but I do appreciate the caustic wit to it. This this you know, even though you did mention the most famous line, I think this this movie does have a few kind of great money lines that I did chuckle at. Like one of my favorite is the only thing queenly about you. Your, uh, God, how does it go? Um, outside of a <laughs> yeah, very memorable then. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Outside of Beehive, there's nothing queenly about you. I thought that was a great line. It's okay, got, it's yeah, got a lot of some, great lines. Yeah, I will admit, there are some barbs here and there. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up this word, caustic. Mm-hmm. There's another movie that I was thinking of that came out this exact year, 1950, that's mm-hmm. also about entertainment and, and the poison of, of fame and luster mm-hmm. and fortune. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
you're talking about Sunset Boulevard. Of course, which is astronomically better than this movie. Oh, is this another all about whatever happened to Baby Jane situation? Where we're yes. like in a universe without Sunset Boulevard. This is a masterpiece. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I don't know. It's like again, even if it didn't, even if it wasn't showered with Academy Awards, I still think it was highly overrated. And again, don't understand why it's regarded as one of the best films of all time. Oh, but I, anyway, I mean, yes. I, Obviously, that, that film Boulevard. that film actually has a sardonic tone to it. That film actually is biting, mm-hmm. um, and there's some direction. There's memorable moments visually as well as in the dialogue itself. But I think that that movie has a stronger point of view and knows how to convey it. Whereas this one, I don't know what I don't know what it's trying to like say about uh, women backbiting each other or <laughs> using fraud and deception to get ahead in their careers. Like I I, I didn't know what was going on there. You were saying? I was saying that the theater is nine-tenths hard work. Work done the hard way by sweat, application, and craftsmanship. I'll agree to this. To be a good actor or actress or anything else in the theater means wanting to be that more than anything else in the world. Yes. Yes, it does. It means a concentration of desire or ambition and sacrifice such as no other profession demands. And I'll agree that the man or woman who accepts those terms can't be ordinary can't be just someone. It gives so much for almost always so little. So little? So little, did you say? Why, if there's nothing else, there's applause. I've listened backstage to people applaud. It's like... like waves of love coming over the footlights and wrapping you up. Imagine to know every night the different hundreds of people love you. They smile, their eyes shine, you please them. They want you, you belong. Just that alone is worth anything. It is kind of weird that the movies that ended up kind of lasting the longest are the ones about like Hollywood and how phony it is and you know mm-hmm. these kind of older uh, miserable women how they've been kind of like flung through, uh, uh, flung through the ringer and things like that it's like that's what kind of stayed what ended up becoming elevated to classics and it would have been, like it's kind of interesting to think about none of the like basic kind of like oh she's pretty like maybe Mar- like Marilyn Monroe stays in the public consciousness but not really any of her movies <laughs> no. and, well, she's kind of, those... and she's in this one as well and I think yes. of that as, as the the epitome the epitome of like oh ditzy <laughs> starlets you know who only who are only famous because of their youth and their looks and their beauty and then you have movies like this and Sunset Boulevard who are like you know all about that that you know ah the dream factory it ends eventually let me tell you <laughs> even though this doesn't really take place in Hollywood it's very Hollywood adjacent well, yeah, well, it regards Hollywood as this kind of phony place where your career actually goes to end, sort of. It's like mm. the final the final act of your career, whereas, like, this moment, winning the admiration of everybody in New York, in particular Eve, I mean, that's how it opens with this um, se- uh, seemingly deranged fan. Um, <laughs> it is kind of bizarre how welcoming they are to her. Yes. But I guess so, that's the whole point. She's like a wallflower. She's like, oh, well, I never dreamed I would ever meet you. Like, she does seem kind of, she does seem earnestly pathetic. I Not earnestly. Well, it, it helps that she's, uh, like, absolutely beautiful. I think mm-hmm. the, the one thing in terms of the, the look, um, I believe Betty Davis was in her early 40s uh, in this movie. Maybe they aged her a bit, but there's a, there's a difference between her and the young ingenue played by Ann Baxter, like, visually. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. they, like, like they permitted some like wrinkles to be on Betty Davis or something like that, whereas like Anne Baxter is like white as a sheet or something. <laughs> she looks like a porcelain doll. I mean, yes. there's also the cost- know, yeah. there's, there's also the costuming as well. Uh, you know, Margot is always wearing like very flowy gowns and like drapery, yeah. whereas you know, uh, Eve is like very kind of homely. She's wearing you know nice prim proper dresses. Yes, but uh, Eve introduced herself by like I've literally seen every show of our star Margot Channing, <laughs> and then a, a friend of Margot's who's just the play playwright's wife. We'll get to her later. <laughs> That's her only connection to the story. She says, "Oh, why don't you come backstage and meet her?" Mm-hmm. Uh, because this was a guileless era. I mean, they didn't they didn't think about 
you know, deranged fans or anything like that, or security or notions of you know anybody <laughs> would try to hurt anybody else. That's so because they had big strong men in their men in their lives to you know defend them. Greg. To, oh yeah, the the big strong playwright. Yeah, <laughs> real tough guys. Greg, Bill, and Lloyd. Oh, you do not want to mess with them. Oh boy. <laughs> Especially not Max. Oh, my house yeah, reflux. I, I need to sit down. <laughs> Keep sitting down. <laughs> but anyway, um, she kind of uh, goes backstage to kind of cajoles her way into a personal assistant job. Mm. Much to the consternation of, I think, what is the best performance in, in the uh, in the uh, in the show is uh, Thelma Ritter playing Birdie, the kind of put upon like over it uh, assistant, the Alfred Pennyworth to uh, Marco Channing's Bruce Wayne. Yes, <laughs> only and again, not as, not maybe devoted, the same yeah. same level of misplaced loyalty. Why does she stick yeah. around? I don't understand. <laughs> But again, I think it's like what's great about it is that it does set it up like it does give us a nice little cavalcade of characters who can all kind of bounce off each other naturalistically. I guess, but this gets to my other big problem with the movie. Mm -hmm. Like before we get in the plot any further, John, Mm -hmm. and that is I want to talk about steaks, rich, delicious steaks, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so tender, so juicy. Mm -hmm. Um, I like mine well done, like a sophisticated man. (laughs) Yes. With ketchup. But, um, <laughs> um, but every story has to have stakes. Like it has to, it doesn't necessarily have to be oh life or boy, death, but it has to be go. something <laughs> earnestly important to the characters. Mm-hmm. So what is at stake here with All About Eve? Well, Margot's career, of course. Really? I okay, mean, what's what's going to happen if she, say, doesn't book her next job, um, the sequel to Aged in Wood? <laughs> what, what a play name. <laughs> it's not a very subtle title. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I really wanted to see footprints on the ceiling. I was really looking forward to that, but they never get okay. to it. I'm really upset. No. Um, okay, so it doesn't. It's not necessarily about Margot's career until the back half of the movie, where it does kind of become also kind of Margot's sanity as well. She kind of like mm. again, we talk about that night at the party where she kind of starts to let the paranoia get the best of her, where she's not exactly sure what exactly Eve wants. And I do want to give the movie credit. I do think it does play very subtly with what Eve's intentions are and whether you can really trust her. Obviously, I didn't trust her at first, but I think maybe that's also kind of the advantage of the movie being so long. It's like, yeah, maybe Margot is just kind of crazy. Maybe she is seeing something that's not really there. Maybe Eve just is this innocent, doe-eyed young girl from the West Coast who just wants to make it as an actress. <laughs> maybe. I, that is That was one shocking point in the movie. It's called All About Eve. But Ann Baxter as Eve spends, I think, about 20 minutes in the movie total. <laughs> It's really all about Margo. <laughs> yes. So it is all about Margo, and that's that's one enormous problem I had. I did not understand what was at stake. And what is at stake, Margo's career, like, I could not give two shits about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not exactly she's, hurting. Yeah, exactly. She's not hurting. Um, it's not like she deserves a career, because she, it, it, she's not endearing the second that she meets uh, Ann Baxter's character. Instead, she's always, she's always like, snippy and kind of has this aloof or, like, um, condescending personality. Because, again, she's this big star. Mm-hmm. So I didn't I didn't care if she gets taken down by this this young waif and I didn't care how um Celeste Holmes's character just the the playwright's <laughs> wife that's all she is is just to be a wife like how she got into She's a she's a plot well. catalyst but also she also gets a uh, narration. The other kind of interesting thing about this movie is it, again it's from the 1950s so it still kind of still has some noir touches as well yeah. and we do get some voiceover some very melancholic voiceover and mm-hmm. it kind of shifts perspectives a bit and uh, her character Karen also gets some narration at some point, and you you know she kind of like looks back and reminisces about this whole uh, f- days, these days and these events. And I thought that was that kind of gave her a bit more complexity, even though yes, she does exist just to be kind of a catalyst. She's really mm-hmm. just there to introduce Eve, and then also to kind of give Eve a leg up in her career, whether she realizes it or not. And then eventually. Uh, I don't know if, like, I didn't want to jump this far ahead. The scales eventually fall, and we realize what a conniving bitch Eve is. <laughs> and she eventually, uh, she inevitably blackmails Karen into kind of helping her with her, get of her career a boost. Yes. Um, after Karen, like, to put Eve, or excuse me, to put uh, Margot Channing in her place and help out Eve earlier, like, uh, Eve twists it around and uses it for blackmail. You're right about that. Mm-hmm. Um 
and I guess that, that is one point in the movie's favor, although Eve, yes, is a despicable, turns out to be a dis- pretty despicable character, a fraud and an imposter and a liar to boot. Uh, mm-hmm. She never, Anne Baxter never really plays it as that conniving. Like, she's always pretty innocent, like, even even in her seductions of the men in her life. Uh, she She's still uh, very endearing in that quality. So that that's a point in the movie's favor. However, again, there's not enough of her. Mm. Like, it seems like we focus too much on these characters that we don't really care about, like Betty Davis's Margot, or the other... Not care about? I cared about them. I thought they were all quite endearing. I don't know what your problem is. You're a cold-hearted man. I... It's not... Maybe it's just... It's also like a world that I just couldn't find myself in. I couldn't Mm. find a home in. Because this is a very upper-crust society. Um, They do find themselves, like, very taken by Eve's invented backstory, where she's just... uh, She's worked at a brewery in Wisconsin, then traveled out to San Francisco, and made it all the way to New York just to see Stalker Channing, like... I, I suppose they could get taken in by that, but this, there, there's something about like, nothing like, nothing about the movie feels uh, real because it is in, in such an upper crust society, mm-hmm. and it's as if this world it's never at stake. Like it, nothing falls away. I believe only once do Karen and her husband refer to like, oh, we might be hurting a bit. Um, let's mm-hmm. try to stage a new show or a new play. How about that? Yep. Um. Even though they're having, even though they're having a, a lovely breakfast in their palladial condo, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Twenty stories in the sky. <laughs> I guess that's also the good point. Even if Margot's career, by the way, you you referred to her stalker chanting earlier, but whoops, <laughs> I knew I'd do that. <laughs> even if she loses her career, her husband's still quite successful, and I don't think they're going to be hurting anytime soon. No, exactly. Yeah. You're being terribly tolerant, aren't you? I'm trying terribly hard. Well, you needn't be. I will not be tolerated, and I will not be plotted against. Here we go. Such nonsense. What do you all take me for? Little Nell from the country? Be in my understudy for over a week without my knowing it. Carefully hidden, no doubt. Now, don't get carried away. Arrives here for an audition when everyone knows I will be here. And gives a performance. Out of nowhere, gives a performance. You've been all through that with Lloyd. The playwright doesn't make the performance, and it doesn't just happen, and this one didn't. Full of fire and music and whatnot. Carefully rehearsed, I have no doubt. Full of those Bill Sampson touches. I am sick and tired of these paranoiac outbursts. Paranoiac? I didn't know Eve Harrington was your understudy until half past two this afternoon. Tell that to Dr. Freud along with the rest of it. No, I'll tell it to you. For the last time, I'll tell it to you. Because you've got to stop hurting yourself and me and the two of us by these paranoiac tantrums. Oh, that word again. I don't even know what it means. Well, it's about time you found out. I love you. I love you. Ha! You're a beautiful and an intelligent woman. A body with a voice. A beautiful and an intelligent woman and a great actress. Here's where I my biggest defense of the movie is. There's mm-hmm. a moment in it which is, you know, again, a lot of contrivance on the part of Eve, but also it's a lot of luck. And one of those instances of luck is their car runs out of gas as Margot, is, Margot and uh, Karen and her husband... Wow. Which, which Bill's not her husband. It's Lloyd who's her husband. Right? Lloyd is her husband, the playwright. Yeah. Um, well, they, they obfuscate that, John. They plan on having Margot miss her show so that Eve, as the understudy, can take over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but there's a there's a very brief moment where Lloyd goes to get gas, where uh, Karen and Margot are kind of left alone. This movie passes the Bechdel yes. test, guys. Okay. Oh, I just want oh, oh, to point With flying that. colors, yes. <laughs> I just want to point that all, out. Uh, all four, le- yeah, four uh, best, or, or excuse me, four uh, actress and supporting actress nominations. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. There is this kind of interesting moment where they're alone in the car and Margot mm-hmm. kind of reflects on who she's become as a character. And I do think that that is kind of the key moment where you're supposed to sympathize with her. Because, again, as an actress, after doing this for so long, she's kind of become a parody, a character of herself. And she kind yeah. of reflects on the fact that, you know, and, you know, it's it's funny we see Eve do the same thing. You know, she's reinvented her whole history so that she can get a chance to become an actress. Well, you're already acting. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like there's this kind of sense that they have to kind of let themselves go and to kind of destroy themselves to build themselves back up into something else that they're not. And I do think that is an interesting theme that the movie is kind of playing with. And kind of the twist at the end is the fact that Eve is not really in control as much as she thinks he is because she's under the boot of Addison DeWitt. Yeah. <laughs> Well, to go back to this that scene, you're right. It's it's a moment of self-reflection. I did that. It works in there, and even though it does diffuse the tension because 
uh, Karen realizes that, yeah, no, she doesn't need to contrive this situation where Margot needs to be taken away from the show so that Eve can have the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, in spite of that uh, dissolution of tension, like, it's still where, like, the way she reacts to, like, she also, like, laughs or something, which um, I thought was a very honest moment. The other thing that works from that point, that standpoint, mm-hmm. is that we are actually outside. <laughs> yes, so it's the one exterior shot when yes. when Lloyd is walking away from the car. There are literally two exterior shots. Yes, one. And notice that kind too. Of a, don't, a that did not pass by. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there, it's a snowy scene on the way to the mountains of upstate New York, mm-hmm. and and it, it felt like such a. It felt like a, suddenly this weight was lifted. Like ah, we're finally out of these like stuffy apartments or something like. <laughs> So there, there was that relief. There was that relief there, in addition to the what's going on in the story, and the, and that the characters. It feels like characters are finally capable of change, mm-hmm. and and maybe that's where I'm I'm kind of stuck in the story because Eve is such kind of a Eve is in so much in the shadows throughout the story that when it is revealed that she's a con woman and an imposter and all these other like dis- has all these other despicable qualities to her, mm-hmm. it's like it's like too late. I, I I wish that twist came earlier. So that we could see like a different shade of her, or it would compel me more rather than in the final like twenty minutes of the movie. I mean, again, I think the movie could have been shorter; it could have been cut down. So I'm not going to disagree with you on yeah. that one. But I do think the story is well paced, and all the events kind of happen in the right order and the right, you know, timing. Um, one of the weird, other weird twists is obviously Eve is not really in control of her own destiny. It turns out Addison is, and then yes. also Addison, a... the theater critic, John. Oh yes, yeah, he's this, the one. This movie's <laughs> turns out the movies are not big fans of critics. <laughs> Those evil critics, their conniving ways. I know <laughs> the they make or break careers. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's another young ingenue as well who mm-hmm. kind of worms her way into Eve's inner circle the same way <laughs> Eve did initially. Yeah, it's kind of like history repeating themselves. That's kind of the. The kind of ending final twist as well. I don't even remember that character's name. Oh, great. Yeah, so you know that it's just cyclical, and <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> I guess we're supposed to feel this catharsis in that Eve will get what she basically handed out to Marco. Mm-hmm. So I guess there is that catharsis too. But yeah, like I don't see how any of the other characters progress. Like Addison DeWitt is still a jerk who blackmails <laughs> people with this, with this journalistic knowledge, with this little digging that he does into the characters' stories. Um, in this case, he reveals that uh, Eve is in fact a fraud and and lied about her backstory and used it to basically insinuate herself into Margot's life and take over her career. But it, I'm glad you brought out the the finale because at the very the very final shot of the movie is finally like okay some directions going on here um the woman who is clearly insinuating herself into eve's life the same way that eve did to margo um does exactly the same thing that she does she picks up a dress and kind of envisions herself you know <laughs> drapes it over her shoulders and takes a herself. bow yes envisions herself on stage but um, she does it in a dressing mirror and you see this like infinite vision of her and i like finally like in addition to the the snowy scene that we saw earlier, it's like, oh, finally the movie gave me something visually different to look at. Oh, come on, Greg. Ooh, it's all about visuals. Who said I, film had to be a visual? I didn't medium? say it was all about visuals. <laughs> I'm just saying like your that it's, as a visual medium. Well, yes, I I also would have liked it. I also object to your notion that the the dialogue is snappy. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> because there's this there's also this interminable scene where I I can't remember if they contrive like Margot to be late for an audition. And it's another instance of where in where in which Eve shines, mm-hmm. and because Margot isn't there, she's she loses the spotlight to Eve, and then she has a long disagreement with uh, her boyfriend, the director, as well mm-hmm. as the playwright, and who pretends that she doesn't know what's going on, even though she just yeah. talked to uh, Addison outside in the lobby. So. Um, that is kind of interesting. It's a movie about actresses, and we actually see no one actually act in this movie. <laughs> no, I guess that's a the it's supposed to be like the shark and jaws. Like, oh, we don't actually see any the actual nice. theatrical performances. Well, yeah, because it's all about the backstage, Greg. It's about the backstage. It's about the backstabbing and the drama. I I, I liked it. I thought it was great. I liked this movie a lot. I, well, I I would have appreciated the drama if there were more to it. Like, again, mm. the characters don't change. It feels like or enough. Okay. Um, it, the whole nature of the story, as we explained, is kind of cyclical. So, and I don't know what exactly is it saying. I, there is a um, a a gay reading of this movie. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Greg, do you think Addison might be gay? <laughs> the theater critic. <laughs> 
uh, perchance, and maybe that's why uh, Bill, the director, can't can't quite commit. Uh, to <laughs> oh. <Mark. laughs> Stay tuned for a bonus episode all about queer theory on all about Eve. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, just to, just to touch on it here, there was some, I I wish the movie wasn't. Because you say it's biting, it's not nearly biting enough. It's everything mm. feels like a half measure in this movie. Mm. Um, again, it's not it's not biting enough in terms of like it's not willing to go there and and say that Eve's infatuation with Margot is like a like a like a lesbian or same sex infatuation. Mm. It's not willing to go to say that the that the male characters are gay. It's not willing to go anywhere. There's a chance when Eve um, goes back to her apartment because she's too exhausted after receiving her award. She she goes back to her apartment and sees that there is this intruder who will ultimately usurp her career just like she did to Margot Channing. Mm-hmm. She pours herself a drink. She's shocked to see this intruder. She drops the glass, and the glass doesn't even break. <laughs> I mean, that's how little – that, to me, symbolizes like how little sparks fly in this movie, oh, like how stop. few sparks fly in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I completely disagree. Come on, Addison slaps her at one point. That's something. I, that's it. <laughs> and then, John, what, what agency does she show after that? She cries on the be- when she's confronted with this. She cries on the bed, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> because Eve, again, it's our first moment of actual live weakness with Eve. Because the whole time she's been putting on this front. The weakness. Kind of when confronted. have we seen? Yeah. When have we seen her be strong? She's she's tried to um, seduce two guys who turn her down. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I know she seduced Bill. Who was the other one? Lloyd, she does... Oh, this is afterwards. She tries to seduce Lloyd, I believe. Uh, That $500 brought you straight to New York, didn't it? She was a liar. She was a liar! Answer my question. Weren't you paid to get out of town? (laughs) There was no Eddie, no pilot. You've never been married. That was not only a lie, it was an insult to dead heroes and the women who loved them. San Francisco has no Schubert Theater. You've never been to San Francisco. That was a stupid lie, easy to expose, not worthy of you. I had to get in to meet Margot. I had to say something, be somebody, make her like me. And she did like you. She helped and trusted you. You paid her back by trying to take Bill away. That's not true! I was there. I saw you and heard you through the dressing room door. You used my name and column to blackmail Karen into getting you the part of Cora, and you lied to me about it. No, no, no! I had lunch with Karen not three hours ago, as always with women who try to find out things she told more than she learnt. <laughs> now, do you want to change your story about Lloyd beating at your door the other night? Please, please. And like, it's okay to admit that I'm right. No, you're <laughs> not wrong. Ra- you're not right. It's like I still think that the dialogue is snappy. I still think it's that it's you know fun. It moves at a good clip. I, I thought this was a fun movie. It does not know. move at a good clip. This movie's interminable. No. Craig, why, 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 why are you no fun? You're falling back on cliches. <laughs> Isn't this always the way? One of us hates the movie, and one of us adores it. So, uh, adores it with reservations. Mm. <laughs> I don't actually adore it with reservations. I'm going to give it a full, hearty recommendation. I say, go check okay. out All About Eve. No, I, I say and fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> this is another antique from a bygone era. Uh, <laughs> maybe we should uh, admire it for... It's merit in terms of uh, like really showcasing the women, because as we said, you know, nominations for the female actors all around, and you know, passing the Bechtel test with flying colors, mm-hmm. and basically centering around them is fine. But I don't know, there there wasn't enough fireworks for me to really care or invest in. Not even fireworks, but enough intellectually like going on too. Because again, I don't I don't quite see the theme. You really got to do some deep digging into I don't know queer theory and <laughs> and feminism and all this other stuff. But uh, boy, that's a lot of effort. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I appreciate the challenge that they kind of gave themselves. It's a movie about actors, and we see none of them actually perform. And yeah. like I don't know. You could also say that it was a kind of a limitation. Let's only shoot in interiors, <laughs> even though yes, yeah. it does make oh, the movie please. kind of visually yeah. bland. No, um, I'm not even. Yeah, I'm not even gonna comment on the on the one scene where uh, Eve and Addison <laughs> are walking outside. <laughs> I love how people complain about screen screens nowadays, <laughs> or maybe back in the day, 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, All About Eve and the movies of the 50s were so much better. <laughs> oh, how With that far wonderful we've come. Rear, rear projection technology. Oh, yeah. how far we've come. I still think it's a great movie. I still think it's worth checking out. I still think it's worth preserving. Again, like you could even argue right there, like how many mo- uh, movies in the 1950s actually you know, were about women? Like, isn't that enough for it to be like 
worthy of being preserved. I, as I, if we, I, as I, if we had any merit on the decision. <laughs> yes, but only as an artifact, like oh. something to be endured and studied, not oh. not to be enjoyed. Endured. Wow, yeah. you really did not like this movie. Damn. No. Well, okay, no, it's not. It's not the worst than I'm a birdemic shock and terror. <laughs> Although that one scene, you know, when they're walking outside. But anyway. <laughs> No, it's not that bad, but in terms of... I mean, come on, John. In terms of the pedigree that this movie has, six Academy Award nominations, preservation in the... Like, I, I think in the top 20 of AFI's, you know, 100 Greatest American Movies. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I've only seen two Betty Davis movies now for this podcast, and both of them are about her being an old crone past her time. Is that kind yeah. of what solidified her career? Uh, maybe. Well, it's... I'm not sure if the other one, because she really, her star really hit in the 30s and 40s when they were just cranking stuff out, and those oh, weren't okay. masterpieces. Like these, Got it. these uh, both, uh, this movie all about Eve and whatever happened to Baby Jean are now regarded as masterpieces. I think it's more of a coincidence or kind of indicative of the quality that her age could kind of tie to mm-hmm. rather than just her, her brassy nature. But Got it. All right. Fair point. Fair point. Yep. yep. I mean, what are we, well, Hollywood historians? I clearly know. <laughs> Are we experts in anything, Greg? No. Uh, well, I mean, we may not be experts, but I feel like we can reach an audience uh, with recommendations. We can argue our points pretty well. Greg, we're experts in what we like. And what we like is detailed, not just in the discussion, <laughs> when you clearly and incorrectly like All About Eve, <laughs> but also in a segment of the show where we recommend something for our audiences to enjoy, and that's our signature section, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it's been so long, Greg. I don't even remember how this is done. <laughs> Neither do I. Wait, who goes first? I, I don't know. I, um, I, I, I've got something. Uh, okay. I, I haven't watched it recently, but I have a sneaking suspicion it holds up. And the reason why I want to talk about it this week is because I got into an extended discussion with my coworkers about the movies we ended up uh, watching a lot when we were kids. And okay. I do think that this movie, unfortunately, does not get a fair enough shake. And I do think it is severely underrated. And mm-hmm. I think it's time that our audience gives it another shot and revisits it. What, is it? Talking... what is it, John? Stop teasing us. What is it? <laughs> I am talking about one of the highlights of the Disney renaissance, a goofy movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not expecting that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I knew you weren't. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, when did this movie come out? 1995 or 6? 1995. Okay. And I so, do think... well, this this is not part of the Disney Renaissance. We should say this was not their like A level material. This was more uh, Q1 product, <laughs> theatrical product. <laughs> and to I be do in think... theaters with with a t shirt merch with clothing merchandise we could sell at Walmart. <laughs> and I do think that that is part of the reason. why... I mean, again, everyone knows Disney is a massively commercial enterprise, but yeah. the fact that they had the gall to kind of put one of their you know quote unquote classic characters in kind of a product like this, I do think turns people off a bit but you know well, why i mean do people really have that great affection for goofy <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anyone really has that much affection for the original disney characters because come on they're kind of archetypical let's be honest <laughs> well they're they're archetypical or yeah or however you pronounce that but <laughs> also it's it's like they're they're past their prime or something their their heyday would have been uh during these old animated shorts in the 30s 40s and maybe into the 50s but I mean, it's clear that it's clear that the Warner Brothers and Chuck Jones and Looney Tunes far surpasses them in terms of <laughs> entertainment value today. So now they're they're more just um, cudgels that they have in icons uh, rather than characters that you could stick at uh, one of the many Disneyland parks around the world. I suppose, but I do want to say that there is a very strong reason why, because of those shorts, Goofy is kind of the perfect character for this movie. Is because yes. a lot of his shorts, when they did do the shorts in the 50s and 60s, a lot of his the the running gag of his shorts were the fact that he was stuck in a very domesticated situation, a very domestic household situation. Uh, there really? was one, that, yeah, the that was a reoccurring joke of theirs. Uh, there was one they actually like did kind of recently, like it's kind of an homage to those older ones where he, uh, you can find it on like the Walt Disney Animation like shorts classic. If it's still on Netflix, check it out. But uh, you know, it's like. 
he would always be doing something like a narrator would kind of trying to be instruct him on how to do something very kind of domesticated, something very kind of suburban living adjacent. Uh, I think in the most recent one, it's like setting up his big screen TV for the big game. And of course, Oh, okay. Yes. So, well, so the, the comedy would be that he is such a bumbling idiot. However, the obstacle would be something <laughs> mundane and easy. Exactly. That you would, that everybody faces in their, in their domestic life every day. Exactly. And, you know, obviously there's also that kind of, that same kind of element of satire, like uh, the Flintstones or the Jetsons were always getting at. It's like, oh, suburban life, it's supposed to make your life easy. You know, it's a life of leisure. And then it turns out not really, not especially. (laughs) Um, And so that's why it kind of fits for the story, because the story itself centers around uh, Goofy as a you know yes. aging goofy dad <laughs> just a classic well, kind exactly, of John, bumbling it's dad the ultimate, it's the ultimate domestic responsibility fatherhood exactly and he has to he's raising his son max as a single father and oh boy yes. it is it not easy <laughs> yes and we can introduce a character in the age demographic that we're looking for so. <laughs> exactly oh yeah because all these teenagers are like yo let's go check out that goofy movie <laughs> Well, the cool ones would. Dude, that goofy's so tight. I know. The lame ones would be going to see, I don't know, Independence Day. or Whatever think, else was coming out in 95. Yes. And also, you know, just just evident of the time period that this takes place in, you have a character who is a uh, riff on Polly Shore and another <laughs> character who's a riff on Michael Jackson. So there you go. <laughs> Awesome. A riff on Michael Jackson in 1995. Interesting. <laughs> Greg, Michael Jackson will forever be iconic, and everyone will yeah, just that's, forget that's about his the history pedophilia. era. That's what, that's what people remember about Michael Jackson during that time, his history album. <laughs> Greg, look, okay, the, the, he made great music. He's, he's absolved of all pedophilia, okay? That's, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> But anyway, John, let's get back. Let's get let's take a deep dive into the Goofy movie. We will. <laughs> okay. Come on, tell me more. Well, I mean, we watched it maybe five thousand times while we were kids. So absolutely, yeah. We only had back in our day. We only had uh, four VHS tapes that we watched over and over again. <laughs> yes. The Goofy movie being one of them, alongside Aladdin, The Rescue Just Down Under, and Babe. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't forget Star Wars. We watched a lot of Star Wars. But uh, the the plot, as it is, uh, Goofy wants to take his son Max on a uh, family road trip, a family camping trip. But this uh, sadly falls on the same weekend that um, I should probably look up his name. Who's the actual yeah. uh, star that he wants to see? I can't remember. <laughs> the Michael Jackson stand-in. <laughs> yeah, the Michael Jackson stand-in. <laughs> it, it, sadly, it falls on the same weekend as the concert for this Michael Jackson stand-in. So, yeah. um, so. Goofy, you know, Goofy's trying to turn him one way. Max kind of concocts, uh, kind of with deception, a way like they he kind of waylays the road trip, you know, without mm-hmm. Goofy's knowledge. Goofy eventually finds out and learn, you know, feels betrayed, and you know they have to reconnect. And it's a very sweet movie. And I think it's actually, even though Goofy is a cartoon character, you know, he's performed by P- uh, Bill Farmer in this movie. He actually does kind of give him kind of like when he is heartbroken, when he is betrayed, like he really does capture it quite well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I gotta say, despite this being like a a second tier, practically like straight to video product for Disney, mm-hmm. um, what I remember of it is being like pretty well animated because this is a long road trip starting in suburbia, but going all the way out to the southwest and these big, big red mesas and canyons and vistas. Like I do remember that. I do remember like they drive like a Ford Pinto or an AMC Pacer, like one of those ridiculous looking seventies <laughs> cars, and everything's packed on the roof. With a, yeah, very top heavy roof. <laughs> yeah. So so there is that that wackiness, but I'm glad you brought up that pesos because I remember there's one distinct scene where uh, Goofy's in with his his rival or whatever the big Pete. bad guy, Pete. Excuse, thank you. Yeah. Um, the, not really a bad guy, but whatever. He's kind of nemesis back in the old shorts, and mm-hmm. and yeah, he's like his his rival in fatherhood. Um, <laughs> and they have a scene in like a heart to heart in the hot tub of a motel or something. And it's so beautiful, like the the water yeah. like rippling, and again, it's dark because it's at night. But you know, like the bubbles and the water's rippling, and again, it's kind of the first instance of pathos in the whole movie, where you know, like Goofy is kind of confronted with the fact that Max has no interest in hanging out with him or you know no. having this kind of connection. So. It's, you know, surprisingly good for a movie called The Goofy Movie. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I think better than it has to be. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> it could have just been like 80 minutes of wackiness. But yeah, they try to introduce some some pathos, as you said. Uh, there's there's some stuff about fatherhood. The story seems to, again, this whole climax is they do make it to the concert, I remember. And uh, they get tied into the performance and they do a silly dance with the, the perfect cast or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I you're right, John. It's still endearing. I think it still holds up. Um as long as the uh, Michael Jackson stand-in isn't also like <laughs> just try to try to bring a teenage Max back to his uh, dressing room or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> or his Neverland Ranch or something. I don't know what the Neverland like. What would the what would the name be for like Neverland Ranch? Um, they couldn't they couldn't parody it too much because Peter Pan is technically a Disney property as well, so it kind of yeah. folds, folds it in full circle, and then the Ouroboros just eats itself. <laughs> exactly. Well, this was this was also an era where. Um, DreamWorks animation was uh, planting its flag, so uh, maybe they could have done something, but they didn't. They didn't have any like pre-built properties, so I don't know. They, I know at one point they called them Dream Jerks in something. <laughs> Disney history is fascinating. Uh, not really. It's just a mega corporation trying to hoover as much money out of your wallet as possible. But Greg, with imagination. Yes, but they do do some fine, damn good entertainment in between then. Mm. So, but never lose sight of what they're really about. But anyway, Avengers Endgame this this summer. Yeah. John, while you were watching children's movies for babies, <laughs> I was watching some grown ass man movies. Oh, right? okay. some tough guy movies Ooh, this weekend. You're a tough guy. Look at you. Exactly. Yeah. I am. I, this is apropos because Ben Affleck and I now have pretty much the same body type, a little paunchy. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have watched, that Jennifer Gardner tattoo that you keep trying to hide. <laughs> I, it's not Jennifer Gardner. It's a big dragon on his back. Okay. Oh, okay. And <laughs> once I can afford it, and I will, I will get it as well. Okay. But this weekend, I finally caught up on the Netflix original Triple Frontier. Ooh. Yeah. This is this is an, another movie about operators. Um, <laughs> Not based on a true story, which, which kind of oddly enough, kind of goes against every other like movie set around operators lately. Um, mm-hmm. They at least like make nods to how true it is. Like either, uh, well, <laughs> even American Sniper has some fiction. Well, at least they try they try to make some nods to reality, even if mm-hmm. American Sniper is completely fictional, um, <laughs> unintentionally. Um, the what, what part did they fictionalize in Mile Twenty Two, Greg? Please let me know. I, <laughs> Well, I don't know if they're—I don't know if they're veterans, John. I don't know if they're. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. They've—they've they've been officially discharged as operators. But this—this this is a movie all about operators who, uh, unfortunately, not supported by their country once they get home. Okay. So one of them, played by Oscar Isaac, concocts this scheme where they're going to rob a drug dealer. They got to do a job. It's one last job. One last job. Yes. One last. (laughs) I believe. I believe he literally says, "This is my last job. This is my lap. My last operation when I do uh, where I do operating, (laughs) where we move silently throughout a building and tap each other." So, (laughs) yep. Give fists to indicate that we're about to attack. (laughs) Yes. Open palm. Like move. So, actually, that's funny because it does it does bring up the kind of fascinating production history behind this movie. This was going to be the uh, big project for director Catherine Bigelow and writer Mark Boll after The Hurt Locker, after mm. they both won Oscars for The Hurt Locker. This was going to be their big kind of uh, big Hollywood movie with the only subtle nods to um, <laughs> the, the, the Oscar-winning movie that gave them a leg up in the industry. Got it. <laughs> But it got kind of like passed around. Like a bunch of different actors were attached to it, like Mark Wahlberg, Tom Hanks, Tom Hardy, uh, Rehearsal Ali. Like all these actors were attached to it at some point until it fell in the hands of uh, Netflix and uh, filmmaker J.C. Chandor, the uh, director of All Is Lost and A Most Violent Year. <laughs> yes, don't for- don't forget Margin Call, John. Oh, he also did Margin Call. Yeah. Damn, this guy's busy. Yeah, so I, well, initially I thought that's, you know, because those are pretty, you know, intelligent, middle brow, like adult oriented movies. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what uh, Triple Frontier was going to be. But for its first half, it's it's very much, I think, the, the Mark Bowl vision, mm-hmm. which is like operators in their language, yeah. <laughs> not, not displaying a lot of personality, because it's true, a, a lot of army vets don't really have a lot of personality, especially when they're <laughs> suffering from PTSD. Um, so there's something about the first half just feels so like perfunctory. There, there's one scene in particular where uh, ben Affleck has has returned home from war, and now he's he's 
uh, schlepping it by selling condos in like Florida, like crappy, crappy apartments. And so he's showing this uh, married couple like around and, and you know, he's, his heart's not really into it. And then uh, the couple just says, oh, it's not what we're, lo- we're looking for. And they leave. Um, and this this all takes place in like 30 seconds like i thought it would have been more fascinating if uh you have this like big burly six foot three you know former army ranger or something has to put on like the the smiley face of a regular of a typical real estate agent that would have been that would have been characterful and funny but there's nothing characterful and funny about this movie john again this is this is serious operator stuff so men doing men stuff exactly so that's the problem with the first half is that there's very little action for this action movie and it doesn't really set up that because it also becomes a heist because they also want to rob this drug dealer hmm. so but unlike a typical heist movie they have to like set up the stakes or that some kind of like <laughs> twist is going to happen um, <laughs> instead the 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 plan goes off relatively without a hitch and finally it's when they they've got way more money than, than they anticipated and they have to basically survive uh, or at least transport it out of the South American jungle where it becomes fascinating. And I feel like this is where J.C. Chandor and his experience with all his loss, like this is where he he finally like came in and could like uh, bring something intriguing. It's kind of like the Treasure of the Sierra Madre, only a little bit more contemporary and I think I think interesting. The, the the actors are allowed to show a little bit more personality. Uh, there are more like obstacles in their way. Like uh, they run across a village and they d- they don't want to act out violently, but you know circumstances change. And there's a there is a genuine twist that I did not see coming, uh, <laughs> with only thirty minutes left because I saw the scroll bar on Netflix. Oh, okay. So <laughs> well, so but so that's interesting because that's kind of what I heard about the movie is the fact that it is kind of a deconstruction of these kind of like men doing a job kind of movies. And so it is kind of surprising that, you know, they keep up that ruse for the first half, <laughs> especially I when know. you're on Netflix, when you need to move fast to kind of keep people's attention spans. Yeah. Going, so. I, w- I wouldn't say it's the most sophisticated you know, <laughs> okay. deconstruction of, I, w- I wouldn't say it's that it's, it's not as um, philosophical as I thought it would have been. Okay. Um, and maybe it's because these, these characters aren't supposed to be the most uh, reflective people in the world. So, well, I mean, I've seen All Is Lost, and I do think yeah. that's a very good movie. Um, yeah. One of the things that I took away from it is really he's more about the craft than maybe kind of the underlying theme, because that movie theme-wise is actually pretty loose as well. It's really more about yeah. kind of the the pacing and the stillness of it all, like the fact that Robert Redford has literally like no lines for an hour worth of that movie, yeah. you know. <laughs> so I do kind of understand if you know you're like going in and you're maybe a little disappointed that he's not really playing with more of your expectations or something like that. Yeah, it just didn't. I mean, it's still like a adequate like uh, time filler <laughs> if you want to watch something on in the background on, on Netflix? Netflix. No, yeah, <laughs> Netflix movies demand your attention. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you brought that up because they had uh, an original movie earlier this year that did command my attention. That was High Flying Bird by mm. Steven Soderbergh. And I think it's Here because... Here we go again. Here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit more direction there. I, again, he did it, credit to him, he did it with an iPhone, but it wasn't until the second half that it started to command my attention because the story was d- doing something a little differently. I'm glad you brought up craft. It's because I think we're in a completely different location. We're not just in you know dark rooms in America, followed by a nondescript mansion deep in the jungle. Mm-hmm. Um it's now like we're in these like Vernon valleys and up above the tree line in the Andes and there's snow and stuff. like. It's now the locations are changing and the characters are changing and they're counting new obstacles. And it's like, finally the, the movie kind of came together a little bit for me, but in terms of that, that dull first half, like, I don't know, maybe you could just like, go ahead, fast forward or something, <laughs> yeah, okay. maybe put on, I mean, dinner. that scroll bar is <laughs> there, you know, you just scroll through. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So I get, it's funny because this, this also reminds me of a movie I haven't seen but came out around the same time like uh, a year or two ago called Triple Nine. <laughs> oh, jeez. Because <laughs> that is also just a, a macho movie about men being men. Maybe it's a spiritual <laughs> sequel like Red Dead yeah. Revolver. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. Thank you, thank you John, for that, that video game reference. But... Mm-hmm. Like it's it's funny how Netflix is kind of playing this game that other like smaller companies just not not dump. I don't want to be that blithe about it, but they position their like action movies in the winter, and you know they're they're not exactly gonna win you know being the competition at the at award season, but you know they 
they are kind of like stamping their flag in terms of like we have a, a star-driven action movie here. Uh, same with like these other companies, like the same with these other movies that star Gerard Butler or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's interesting from that uh, business standpoint. As for the movie itself, uh, you know, like uh, half good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Ben Affleck, Ars- Oscar Isaac, they're the good parts. Everything else, eh. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like none of them, none of them really have a, an outward personality. Uh, I will say, I, I admire the performance of Pedro Pascal. Um, maybe because he, he looks the most distinctive. They call him Catfish because his face is a little weird with the facial hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he his his face conveys a little bit more when they are in the when they are in the shit, and you know they're 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 in a tough they're in a tough spot i could see a little bit more like uh, emotionally going on behind the eyes um whereas the rest of the characters i think they're they're all trying to play or excuse me the rest of the actors are all trying to play like very stern and serious um particularly um charlie human um who's not the most expressive actor anyway so <laughs> he was also struggle. he was also struggling with that american accent <laughs> how dare you usually okay. yeah i know usually i'll forgive an actor but yeah this when when you over enunciate every word <laughs> greg it's because he's a big tough man okay yeah <laughs> he has to explain things to all the women in his life <laughs> and all the women are... on the internet Actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought that. I'm glad you brought that up because there's precisely uh, two women in this movie. <laughs> so this is not pass the Bechdel three, test. Good to yeah, know. No, oh, far from it. No, this 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 fails hard. <laughs> okay. But there there are precisely two women with about four scenes between them. Okay. One is reserved for Ben Affleck and his daughter. Mm. Um, they they say that he has multiple daughters, but we only see one, and she's just like, "Dad, get off your ass and go do something." Um, <laughs> go that's steal from a drug dealer. <laughs> yes, that's the extent of her character. Okay. And then we have another one who's really she's really the catalyst for this whole this whole scheme of to uh, rob this drug dealer because she wants to get out she wants to get out from under this cartel okay. and um, she does that by uh, getting in the ear of Oscar Isaac and basically saying now all the guys accuse Oscar Isaac of having a romantic relationship with this woman but we mm-hmm. never see that really mm-hmm. so it's like another it's like another area where there could have been like drama or a little bit of texture but instead that's all sandblasted away because this is a serious movie about uh real uh how real life operators would operate and they don't um, they don't they don't have time for romantic entanglements or personalities or all any right. of that f- fumpery <laughs> well you've gone on for 20 minutes of a movie you didn't really like that much so. <laughs> it has interesting points and i can i can explain them interestingly <laughs> okay I can just hear our audience wrapped with attention as I talk about a new Go on. That, yeah, that everybody will forget about in another twelve minutes. So But what are the triple frontiers? I'm glad you bring that up. Oh no. Actually, no They did not actually mention that in the movie. It's the border of oh my Brazil, Peru. This and is why I don't Uruguay? talk during his spotlights, guys, because he'll just go yeah. on and on if I give him the opportunity. Because they wind up in Chile, but that's not one of the triple front that's not one of the triple uh, frontiers. Um, anyway, on that fascinating note, <laughs> let's move on. We've 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 sold you guys on a few movies here, mm-hmm. namely a goofy movie, <laughs> and all now, about Eve. Yes, everyone now, had a good time. Now do a favor for us. Mm. Go ahead and give us a like on social media: Facebook, Twitter. Mm-hmm. We've MySpace. given you a don't, solid don't worry, hour of content, and so the least you can do is give us a follow like and subscribe do all that you know social media related bullshit and then once you're done with that you go to your podcast service of choice wherever you're listening to us apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher who knows and you can give us five star review and leave a review and a comment saying oh my gosh these guys are hilarious and they're great and i love them and i want to have their babies thank you yeah (laughs) yes and if you don't want to say anything like that keep it to yourself (laughs) okay (laughs) Only positivity, guys. Come on, the world's yes, such full and so full of negativity. I know. Come on, keep it positive, keep it light. Yeah. Come on. Um, but if you do want to get in touch with us personally, um, if you don't want to publicly uh, besmirch our character or criticize us, you can reach out to us at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. Yes. Leave us a comment, and we will respond to you. Uh, give us a recommendation, mm-hmm. and we'll also maybe take it. Yeah. 
Um, I think we will, because uh, I can't remember what movie we're watching next week, John. No, neither can I. <laughs> uh, we're, get, we're getting back to the swing of things. Again, we took a week off so that this this grown man <laughs> across the way <laughs> could basically get on, put on jewelry and dance. <laughs> That's what we've spent all this money on. I'm a pretty, on. pretty princess, okay? And it was my day. <laughs> Every boy dreams of becoming a princess one day, Greg. Okay. Mm, yes. <laughs> Maybe not cold-hearted men like you. <laughs> That's that's why they have uh, father-daughter dances. <laughs> I loved her first. I know, I know. It's hugely disappointing. I didn't hear that song. <laughs> I expected to hear. I expect to hear that song at every wedding. It's a, it's and a I was sorely disappointed. Hmm. Well, John, I'm glad we brought up uh, queer theory in all about you. <laughs> Because I think we're going to explore it a little bit more in the movie in the comedy we're watching next week. Yes, because next week we'll be cla- uh, cap- we'll be rewatching another famous '80s comedy classic, which Greg has somehow not seen. I know, Ugh, so insulting, so uh, yeah. so such a bore. Greg Mantel is because <laughs> next week he's going to finally get a chance to watch Tootsie. Yeah, I earnestly have never seen Tootsie before. Uh, I, do, I don't know what to expect. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'll tell you that much. Because if yeah, you okay. loved All About Eve, there's no reason why you shouldn't love this yeah. one. We've 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 revisited a lot of '80s movies lately, and it's really peaks or valleys, I think. Mm. So I'm hoping we reach another peak. Here. Well, I remember all the valleys. Where's the peak? What's the peak for you? Indiana Jones. Robocop. Robocop. Oh, well, yeah, Robo. Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I forgot about Robocop. Robocop. How fucking dare you? Rules. I know. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Predator was another one from the same year. 87, great year. Mm, great year. Mm. I think mm. the greatest human beings came from 1987. Wouldn't you agree, Greg? Yes. Nick Cannon is. <laughs> <laughs> I only remember that because we share a birthday with Nick Cannon. I believe year-wise, year too. But oh, anyway. Okay. Uh, anyway, John, we're talking too much about ourselves. Let's let the people go. Oh, okay? right. <sighs> I mean, that's what they're here for, Greg. We're putting on our own personal brand. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Although no more brands. Nope, no more brands. No logo. Mm. Out of, get out of here. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yes, that said, please tune in and listen next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and until next time, keep aspiring. Yo, drop your glasses. Shake your asses. Face screwed up like you having hot flashes. Which one? Pick one. This one. Classic. Red from blind. Yeah, bitch, I'm drastic. Why this? Why that? Lip stop basking. Listen to me, baby. Relax and start One strong should be labeled as a hazard. Some of y'all hot psych, I'm gassing. Clowns, I spot them and I can't stop laughing. Easy come, easy go, he be gonna be lasting. Jealousy, let it go, results could be tragic.